0: Let me start by reading this quote from Martin Luther King Jr. He said, To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. We know that. We, we know in some way that prayer is a major part of a Christian's life. We know that as prayer uh, is a conversation with God, and just to recap a little bit, last week we hit these super fast, that we tend to categorize the different prayers that we have into these kind of buckets. Sometimes we, we're praying for provision. We say, God, I have a need, and I need you to provide. So just like Martin Luther King Jr. said, like, this is a huge, a vital part of my life. I have a need, and so I go to God and pray for provision. Oftentimes we pray for his supernatural intervention. We need a miracle. God, I need you to show up in a way that cannot be explained away and with anyone or anything else. So we need God to intervene. We pray for him to show up. We also pray just in conversation. We had this conversation a few months ago where prayer is relational. It's meant to be personal. It's a conversation, a dialogue between us and God Almighty. So oftentimes we pray just out of conversation. But the focus that we're having this month is a prayer that I call the exchange prayer. It's a trade where we say, God, here's what I want, and here's what I think, and here's what I need, and here's what I desire. But God, I want you to give me yours. I'm gonna give you what I want, I'm gonna give you my will, I'm gonna give you my desires in exchange. I want yours. So last week, we kicked it off, this new Bible teaching series, and today we'll continue that idea of a prayer that is a prayer of exchange. Jeremiah chapter 18, this will kind of give us some context for this morning, then we'll pray and jump in uh, to that specific prayer. Jeremiah 18, then the Lord gave another message to Jeremiah. He said, go down to the potter's shop, and I will speak to you there. So I did as he told me, and I found the potter working at his wheel. But the jar he was making did not turn out the way that he had hoped, so he crushed it into a lump of clay again and started over. Then the Lord gave me this message, O Israel, can I not do to you as this potter has done to his clay? As the clay is in the potter's hand, so you are in my hand. Now, if you keep reading, you'll know that Goodness, uh, God gives Jeremiah some really bad news for the Israelites, right? He's about to do just that. He's about to crush the Israelites again because of their lack of faithfulness. But I share that and I bring that up because it gives a great background to who our God is. He is sovereign. He is over all things. And just like he would say Israel is clay in his hands, I would hope that today you might have a new posture in our study of prayer, that you and I are clay in his hands, And it's not just, God, take care of me. It's not just, God, give me what I need. It's not just, God, give me what I want. It's not just, God, show up, but it's, God, it's okay if you break me a little bit. God, it's okay if you crush me, to mold me and to shape me, and maybe even to remold me and reshape me to continue to work on me until I am who you want me to be. That is a very hard prayer. God, change me. God, shape me. God, mold me into not who I think I want to be, not in who I desire to be, but God, I am giving my life to you. I am the clay and you are the potter and my life is in your hands. So God, change me, shape me into who you want me to be. Let's pray together. Lord, we come before you and we say just that. Easier said than done, but we give you our lives to do with as you wish, as you would desire. God, it's, you tell us throughout scripture, it's good for us to bring our needs to you. You want to hear from us. And yes, God, you do supernaturally intervene, but may we begin our prayer with you with that kind of a posture that our lives are in your hands. So God, change us, shape us, mold us, and create us to be who you desire us to be. I pray as we open your word today that you would speak to us individually through the power of your Holy Spirit. Speak, Lord, for we are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in Psalm 139. Psalm 139 is is a pretty famous chapter and passage. Um, Before we get to the actual verse, I need to give you a little context of what's happening. So if you've got a physical Bible, this is going to make a lot more sense. If not, you're going to have to take my word for it and go back and look a little bit later. If you don't have a Bible that you can read and understand on your own, make sure you grab them. They're right out there in the lobby. Grab a Bible, mark it up, put your name in it, use it, bring it with you. But in Psalm 139, David's writing this and he breaks it up into a few different parts before we get to this actual like prayer of surrender which is what we're going to focus on. But the first part about the first, I don't know, six verses is all about David recognizing, God, you know everything. He even begins. He says, Lord, if you've examined my heart, you know everything about me. You know when I sit down. You know when I stand up. You know my thoughts. You know when I travel. You know when I rest. Like he goes on and on and on for about six verses of God, you know me. Not just you know everything, but you know personally and you know intimately me. And then he shifts gears around in verse 7, and he starts to say, well, you don't just know me, you're with me, right? And, and God, oftentimes we talk about him in the omnis, like he's omniscient, he knows everything, he's omnipresent, and omnipotent, he's like he's all things everywhere, right? And in this passage, David's not just talking about that, he's making it personal, He says, I can never escape from you. I can never get away from you. If I go to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. I mean, so he's not just saying God is everywhere. David's recognizing, God, you're everywhere with me. Anywhere I am, you are there. And anywhere I go, you are there. He's making it personal. He says, you know me, you're everywhere with me. And then he ends the last section talking about, God, you created me. You didn't just know me. You're not just with me, but you created me, verse 13. You made all of my delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. And he goes on and on about, you made me. You know me, you are with me, and you created me. And he says all of that to build up to the prayer that we're gonna look at today. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Note this progression where he doesn't just say the prayer. He doesn't just give this prayer. Like he builds up to it. God, you know everything about me. You know my ins and my outs. God, I can never get away from you. God, there's nothing I could do that would push you away from me. And there's nowhere that I could hide that you could not find me. You are always with me. And God, you created me with a purpose. I'm wonderfully made. And so he makes all these declarations to then get to this place of like, so God, tell me what you see. Show me what I don't even see. I wanna read that prayer again, but I want you to say it with me. So Beth, if you'll put it back on the screen, read this with me, ready? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. God, search my heart. Show me. Test me and, under, and help me know my thoughts. Reveal those thoughts to me. It's not just point out things that you don't like. No, it's point out anything in me that offends you. And then I give you permission to change me. Give you permission to lead me. And I promise to follow. So we're going to break those down. Even though it's kind of one prayer, there's four parts to it. So we're going to go through those. And hopefully this is helpful. in getting to a place where you can pray that prayer of exchange of God, shape me, mold me, change me into who you want me to be. But in order to do that, we have to have God kind of speak to us and show us what he wants changed and how he wants to mold us and what he wants to shape and develop in our lives. That's the purpose of this prayer of exchange. So the very first part, search me, oh God, and know my heart. I would say a way for us to maybe think through this is, God, show me the condition of my heart. Show me. There's things about my heart that I'm probably by. There's things about my heart that I'm probably not even seen, right? There's things that, that I can rationalize. There's things that I can make excuse for. So God, I need you to spotlight my heart. This is like a prayer of examination or a spotlight prayer. God, I need you to put the spotlight right on my heart and help me to see what I normally wouldn't see unless you showed me. God, revealed to me the condition, the posture, the motives, the intentions. Show me the condition of my heart. Last year, um, some of you know we did some renovations, getting ready for what we're doing back uh, behind me in the warehouse. Um, but one of them was kind of the sound panels, another was like the house lights. We're a, we're a church where we open God's word, and I want you to read God's word, not just, oh, that's what Pastor Brian told me it said. No, I want you to read it. And we started to have some people mention, like, Brian, I'm like I'm bringing my Bible, um, but I can't see the words in my Bible. And I'm like, well, I can get you a large print Bible. They're like, no! It's not because I'm old and can't see. It's because there's no lights in this whole place. I'm like, oh, now that I can fix. So, you don't know, maybe you didn't realize this, but these large house lights were new this last year. And it was pretty dark in here, and you couldn't really see people using their phones bones to shine on their Bibles. So I was like, I'll take care of it. We'll get some lights. So we put some new house lights in here. And all of a sudden you can read your Bible. It's amazing. You turn on the lights and now you can actually see. It was great. Except do you know what else we could begin to see? All the coffee stains on the chairs you're now sitting in. I'm not kidding. We got them installed and we turned them up. And I'm like, this is disgusting. What? How have I not seen this before? And I mean, please hear my heart on this, that, I mean, we serve coffee and it's not like, leave your coffee at the door. I want you to come in. We know we're going to have spills, but we've never seen them before. I just thought you guys were super clean. I was like, we've never had a spill. There's been a lot of spills. And so before that Sunday, I said, we have to clean these like now. So we got them all professionally clean, did it ASAP because as soon as the lights went up, we saw all the stains and didn't realize it before. Now, I'm pleased to say, you don't have to worry about, and some of you are like, "Uh, I don't feel comfortable sitting in this chair. Like I said, we cleaned them, but I'm proud to say we have brand new chairs in our new space, so we're going to throw these things away, give them away, whatever we can do. They're not going with us, so we will start clean again, and we'll make sure that we keep an eye on them. Those are things you would never have seen if the lights didn't get shown if the lights didn't shine, if it didn't get brought into the light. So that's what this prayer is saying. God, would you shine a light on my heart? Help me to see, because I'm not going to be able to see everything on my own. Jeremiah 17, 9, we're told the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and is desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? So you cannot say, scripture's telling us, you cannot say, oh, I know my heart. I've got it figured out. I know my weaknesses, and I know my strengths. I know where I struggle. Like You might know some of those, but we don't know it all. So what would it look like to say, God, I, I don't even know me as well as you know me. I don't know my heart as well as you know my heart. So God, would you search me, oh God? Know my heart. Show me the condition of my heart. Allow him to put a spotlight on your heart. Then the second part, test me and know my anxious thoughts. That first part is the scary part. It's not just know my thoughts. It's not just help me understand my thoughts. It's not reveal to me my thoughts. It's test me and then show me my thoughts. Test me and know my thoughts. In other words, David is doing this, and I would ask that we do the same thing. We invite God to put us in situations that will test our faith. Told you that's the scary part. God, I'm going to invite you to put me in situations that are going to reveal, am I fearful or am I faithful? Because usually, I would say typically, we don't know what those, where our faith will land, if it'll be more on the fear side and more on the faith side, until we are in that situation, right? You don't know it until you're in it. You don't know how you're going to respond until you're dealing with it. So here David is saying, God, put me in those situations, I am willingly giving you permission and inviting you to put me in situations that are going to show me, oh, I really don't have as much faith as I thought. Oh, this is an area that I do have some strong faith. Oh, this is an area where my faith is pretty weak. Because it's in those situations we begin to recognize, oh, I have more thoughts of fear or I have more thoughts of faith. But God, you have to put me in those situations to help me know, am I fearful or am I full of faith? That fear and faith is a helpful gauge on where our faith is at. Not to make you feel guilty, it's just a helpful gauge. Reveal my thoughts to me. Help me understand what situations do I not trust you in. Right? Another way we could say it is we fear, what we fear reveals where we don't trust God. What we fear the most reveals where we trust God the least. So what if you begin to give God permission? like Put me in those situations where I might not be trusting you fully. I give you permission. I invite you to put me in a situation and then help me know what my thoughts are. Are they anxious and fearful and worried thoughts? Or are they thoughts that immediately trust you? In Matthew chapter 19, there's a story, a true story of a man coming to Jesus. And this man comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, what does it take for me to enter heaven? What do I have to do to enter and get the inheritance of eternal life. And so Jesus begins to answer his question, kind of the basic, the 101 stuff of you need to love God. Yes, you need to love others. You need to follow the commands. Like those things are important. And this man says, yeah, 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 yeah. I've done all that. I've got it all figured out. I've done all of those perfectly. And so I could just imagine Jesus's face at this point. He says, you asked for this next part. So I want to read to you what Jesus says to this man who thinks he's got it all taken care of. And he's going to reveal something about his thoughts as well as his heart. Verse 21, after this man said, yeah, 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 I've got all those done. I've taken care of everything. Matthew chapter 19, verse 21, Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, in other words, you're not there yet, sonny. If you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven then come follow me. I love that it's not enough to just, yeah, just go give everything away. No, then you have to actually follow me. Then come and follow me. Notice this young man's response, verse 22. But when the young man heard this, he went away, what? How'd he go away? Sad. Why? For he had many possessions. This passage is not about money. This passage is not about finances. This passage is not about buying your way into heaven. It's not even a passage about doing all these things so you can be in heaven. What Jesus did was gave the over Yeah, you need to love God, you love others, you do what I've commanded. And when this man thought he had it all taken care of, Jesus said, "I'm going to find the one thing you don't want to do." And Jesus, of course, knowing this man, knew he was rich, knew that he was wealthy, and knew that was the one thing. I could just imagine Jesus searching this man's heart and searching this man's mind in the, in the moment and saying, That. that's the thing. That's the one thing you never will give up for me. That's the one thing you don't want me to ask you to give up. That's the one thing that you don't trust me in. So that's what I'm going to ask you to do. He could have asked this man to do all kinds of things, but he found the one thing that this man did not trust God in. And so that's what Jesus called him out on. He said, that one thing that you're holding tightly to, that one thing that you're holding more tightly to than me, that's what I'm going to ask you to give up. So yes, give that up and come and follow me. And in the midst of that situation, we could tell this man's thoughts. His thoughts were not of trust and faith. His His thoughts were disappointment and sadness. And he walked away from Jesus. What situation might God, God want to put you in that is intended to show you your thoughts? Am I afraid or am I trusting? A hard question. What is that one thing that you just pray, God, don't ask me to do this. God, don't ask me. You can ask me anything. Like this man, he did all the other commands. God, ask me to do any of those commands. I got it. Just don't ask me to give that up. And that's the one thing that he's gonna lean in on. What situation might God want to put you in to reveal your thoughts? Are they full of fear or are they full of trust? In June of 2017, young man, first name of Alex, climbed El Capitan you know anything about this story, your eyes are going to get real big here in a second. So El Cap, if you don't know, is a, I mean, goodness, it is a 3,000 vertical foot, just sheer granite rock face. It's the picture on your left over here on this side in Yosemite National Park. And this is one of those rock faces that is a climber's dream. Any rock climber, any adventure, like this is the goal to climb El Cap. And, and many people do this. In fact, when, when my family and I lived in California, we visited Yosemite a handful of times, and you'd see climbers working their way up. Most climbers, it takes them about four days to climb the 3,000 feet all the way from bottom to top. They'll spend the night, like you'll see sleeping bags and tents on the side of this rock face. It's just crazy to see. But it takes most people about four days to climb bottom to top. They've got all kinds of gear. They've got all kinds of ropes. They've got everything with them. They've got guides taking them up and everything. So it's not uncommon for people to climb El Capitan. But none of them have climbed it like Alex. In June of 2017, Alex climbed El Cap, and he did it in three hours and 56 minutes without a rope. No ropes, no gear whatsoever. He had his shoes, he had chalk, and he had his hands, <laughs> and he walked up to the rock wall, and in just under four hours, climbed the whole thing—3,000 vertical feet—with no ropes. Now, if you're like me and uh, most of the rest of the world, we all say, he's crazy. There's something wrong with him. Like something's not connected up here. He's missing some kind of like fear and emotion. Like there's a detachment there. Like something is wrong with him. And of course, that's one of like the big questions that Alex would get asked. Well, how did you do that? Like, were you afraid? How are you not scared? Like, that was the big question. And I love his response. If you're interested more in this, watch the documentary Free Soul. It's fabulous. It's, it's, I don't know, fabulous. My hands were sweating the entire time i watching this thing. He doesn't die, just to make sure we're all on the same page. Here's Alex's response to people that questioned him and his fear. Here's what he said. He said, I tried to expand my comfort zone by practicing the moves over and over again. I worked through the fear until it's just not scary anymore. I don't really agree with that necessarily. <laughs> I think for all of us normal people, like you could, I could practice those moves over and over again. I'm never going like to have the ability or the, the emotional capacity to climb something like that. But his, his principle behind it does make sense. And he didn't just climb it one day. I mean, he spent years and years and years of climbing other mountains free solo. He tried other other mountains leading up to that and other climbs, getting himself ready. He kept, I love that phrase, he kept expanding his comfort zone until this was within his comfort zone. And I think that's what God tries to do with us. He keeps putting us in situations that test us and stretch us, change us, shape us, mold us, until what was scary before isn't as scary today, right? For some of you, walking in this door for the first time, however long ago that was, maybe even today, scariest thing you've done in a long time. Like, if you think back to when you first walked through these doors, man, I'm going to go to church, and man, I've heard weird things about this church, and they meet in a warehouse, and they used to be in a movie theater. I don't know what that's all about. and like, I'm, So it's just it weirded you out, and it freaked you out, and it was the scariest thing for you to do, to walk into a place where you didn't know for the first time. Fast forward however many years later, and you're here again, and you probably don't think twice. What was once scary, once outside your comfort zone, as God pushed you in that way in your faith, guess what? It's just part of what you do. If you give, if you tithe, right, can you think back to what it was like to write that check for the very first time? When you see bills, and you see all the other things that you save for, and you see how everybody else is spending their money, and then you look at that, and you say, man, 10%. Let's start with like 0.1. Let's start there which is great, right? It's not about a number, it's about a next step. And writing that check for the first time, saying, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm supposed to say that even though I don't. I don't trust you, but I'm going to try to trust you. That's how that conversation went with me. (laughs) I don't trust you, but I'm supposed to trust you, so I'm going to try to trust you, but you better show up. (laughs) You write that check, and then years and years and years later, you don't think twice, right? What was once scary is not quite as scary. Asking For God to ask you to forgive people in your life. God, I can't do that. You don't know what they've done to me. Requires trust to forgive. And all of a sudden, doesn't mean it doesn't hurt, doesn't mean it's not difficult, but the forgiveness, I'm not gonna say becomes easier, but it's within more of your comfort zone, right? And people might look at you, it's like, you're crazy. Why do you do that on Sunday mornings? Why do you write that check? How can you forgive that person? You're crazy. No, God has expanded my comfort zone. What was once fearful is now a way that I'm able to trust God more. What might God be wanting to put you in that reveals your fear and your trust? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Show me the condition of my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Are my thoughts in that situation full of fear or am I trusting? Then the next part, verse 24, point out anything in me that offends you. What's in here? Not point it out in everybody else. That's an easy thing to do, (laughs) right? We don't need any help point out the sins of everybody else. We see it all the time. But looking at me, God, what's in me? What is my problem? What are my issues? What are my sins? Because, man, it's a lot harder to see it in me than it is in everybody else. So to say, God, point it out. Show me my sins. Uncover my sins. Help me to see them. Because here's my promise to you, and I say this from experience, right? When God begins to do that, you're going to realize two things. You sin a lot more than you think you do, and it's a lot worse than you think it is. Every time. Every time God starts to stir in my heart, I'm like, ah, it's not that bad. Oh, no, it's a lot more than you think it is. And it's a lot worse than you recognize. When I was in college, I had to take a communications course, right? If, if part of what I do is going to be communicating the gospel to people, our professors wanted to make sure that we could at least talk on some level of, of clarity and professionalism. So we had to take a communications class. So I'm in this communications class, and they had us speaking on all kinds of different things, not just Bible, but all kinds of different presentations. I remember the first one that I had to give, couldn't tell you what it was on, but I remember it was the first time I have ever been video recorded before. So we would stand in front of the class, small class, video camera at the professor in the back. He'd hit start. We'd give the presentation. And then the only homework was go back and watch yourself. Right? Ah, it's not that bad. I think I did a pretty good job. I was horrified. I was absolutely mortified of sitting in my dorm room watching that probably 10-minute presentation that felt like 10 hours. Because I had never known this before about myself when I spoke. I watched myself, and every other word was um. So um, I'm glad that uh, um, I could be here talking with you today. And um, the presentation I have for you, um, I want to just share just um, quickly. It was like that the whole time, and I'm just like, I can never go to that class again. I can't do this as a, like, I can't believe how many times I said um. The professor asked us, like, when we debriefed, shared, and he said, well, how many times did you say um? I said, well, I didn't count. He said, go back and watch it and count. I said, I have to do this again? (laughs) I got better quick. (laughs) That's something I never would have known. I never would have seen if it wasn't for that being revealed. I still do that on Tuesdays. Oh, worst part of my week is going back and watching a message. I'm like, oh man, I don't know how you guys sit there and listen this whole time. Kudos to you. I can barely do it myself. So good job for you. I hope God speaks to you a whole lot more than I do. But you're never going to see it unless God begins to uncover. God, point out my sins. Show me because I know I'm not gonna see it on my own. It becomes very dangerous if we don't see the sins in our life, right? If we are just either naive to it or ignorant, or we just don't wanna know, if we become blind to our sins, our own sins, that becomes a very dangerous place, and here's why. Don't mishear me. It's not so that God can shove it in your face and say, see, he told you you weren't perfect. It's not so that we have this feeling of guilt and shame, not at all. The more you recognize the sin in your own life, the more you recognize how desperate you are for a savior, the more you lack sin, the more I think I got it all figured out. Why do I need Jesus? Why, do I, why did I need him to go to the cross if I can take care of this on my own? I'm actually doing a pretty good job. Jesus nice. I don't need somebody else is going to need you but I'm good. That's the danger of not seeing the sin in your own life. But when God begins to burden you with the realities of your sin, it should move you not to guilt, not to shame. It should throw you into the arms of your savior. Of God, I have to have you. I can't believe this is who I've turned into. I can't believe what I've allowed in my life. I can't believe what I've allowed myself to speak. So Jesus, I absolutely need you in your grace. And thank God that grace is not based on how well I'm doing because I just watched the video. It's not good. So God, thank you for that unending grace that's based on your love and not my performance. Your sins and the recognition of them should throw you towards him. And you'll leave guilt and shame behind. Romans, Paul talks about this very same thing. Romans chapter 5, verse 20 and 21. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they are. Super great news for you this morning. Isn't that great that that's a, not the purpose, but that is a purpose of God's word. We're going to hold this up and we're going to see what God's word says. And we're going to say, wow, I definitely don't match up to that. God's word was given so that we could see how sinful we really are. But as people sinned, here's the good news of the gospel, but as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became, say these two words with me, became more abundant. The more I recognize how sinful I am, the more grace I recognize I need and the more grace he freely gives. Verse 21, so just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. So God, reveal the sins in my life, uncover the sin. God, point out anything in me that offends you, not so I'm guilty, not so I feel guilty, not so I feel shame, but so I see my need for you. And I run to your grace. And I have the gift of grace because of Jesus, not because of me. So search me, show me the condition of my heart. Test me, put me in situations and help me see where my faith is strong and where my faith is lacking uncover my sins so I recognize constantly my desperate need for a savior. Each of those aspects of this prayer of exchange lead us to this next part because now there's a choice to be made. Okay, I see the realities of my heart. Okay, I recognize my thoughts and they're not always full of trust. Oftentimes they're full of doubt and fear. I see, God, you're showing me the, the sins in my life, the things that offend you. So now what do I do that he's shown me those? What do I do with them? David would say the last part of this, and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Lead me. Lead me. I have two choices. We all have two choices. When we recognize the condition of our heart, the thoughts, whether they're trusting God or they're fearful that it's not gonna work out. When we see our sin, we either keep doing what we wanna do and we lead ourselves, or we say, God, I need you to lead me. Like there's my heart, there are my thoughts, there's my sin. I'm obviously not doing a very good job of leading my own life. So God, I need you to lead me. And I don't just want you to lead me, I want you to lead me along the path of everlasting life. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I wanna follow you. I give you permission to lead me and I will follow you. I give you permission to lead me, which means change me and mold me and shape me. Lead me to where you want me to go not where I've been trying to lead my own life. That concept of following Jesus and allowing him to lead you is a very common theme throughout scripture, obviously, especially in the New Testament, right? But I just wanna give you a glimpse. Hopefully, maybe this is helpful. If you wanna take a picture this, might be good to read through these, uh, even a little bit more in context uh, this week. Let me start with Luke chapter 9, verse 23. These are Jesus's words. Jesus said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower... You must look, give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. That's what it takes to follow Jesus. Not my will, but your will. Not my desires, but your desires. Not what I want, but what you want. I give you my life. My life my, is clay in the potter's hands. That's how that begins. And then the rest of these passages, again, there's a lot more. Here's just a few. Throughout the New Testament, the authors help us unpack what that means to follow Jesus and be led by him. First John those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus should. We are following in Jesus' footsteps. Ephesians 5.1, Paul says, Imitate God in everything you do because you're his kids. It's not just enough to do certain things. No, we imitate him and his character. Later on, uh, or earlier in uh, chapter 4, throw off your sinful nature, your formal way of life. Instead, look, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes, put on your new nature. You're created to be like God truly righteous and holy. Lastly, Philippians 2.5, have the same attitude, the same mindset as Christ Jesus. See, it's not just do what Jesus did. You guys remember the bracelets, what would Jesus do? It's a great starting point, but that's like half the equation. It's not just do what he did. It's become like him. The same heart condition as him. The same attitude as him. The th- same thoughts as him. The same desires as him. The same once is him. Forgive others like he's forgiven you. Care about what he cares about. See, this prayer, search me, oh God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the way of everlasting life. Like that prayer says, God, help me to become more like you. So if you got your prayer card, we did this last week if you were here. It looks just like this. It's probably sitting on your seat. If you're willing... Would you make this your prayer this next week? right, let me put it up on the screen, but it would go something like this. Lord, change me. But it's not just change me. Let's be a little bit more specific. Lord, change me to become more like you. Lord, change me. To become more like you. If I am the clay and he is the potter, God, I give you permission to shape me, to mold me. Maybe I've been building up my life the way that I want it, so God, I'm going to give you permission to kind of crush me, like Jeremiah heard, and rebuild me. You might need God to break down some things in my life, the parts of my life that I'm a little scared of, that I don't have a lot of trust. God, I want you to put me in those situations so I can practice trusting in you again and again. Lord, change me to become more and more like you. Change me, mold me, shape me, grow me into who you want me to be, to be more like you as we've been doing uh, so far and we'll continue to do this through our our prayer series, I wanna give you an opportunity to not just like, oh, that was great, that was helpful, okay, and then move on to the rest of your day. We're gonna sit in that just for a few minutes. So here's the way I want you to sit in this prayer just for a little bit is let me put this up here. I I want you to think about this a little bit differently. What if God asked you these questions? Let me read them out loud. What if God asked you, do you trust me? Not do you love me, Not do you like me? Do you trust me? What if God asked you, what are you anxious and worried and fearful about? Because remember, that reveals where we might be lacking some trust. What if God asked you, what do you not want me to ask you to change? Think of that rich, young man. God, I'll keep all your commands. Just don't ask me to give that up. What might he be asking you to change? Here's a hard one. This is going to sound harsher than I intend for it to be. What if God asked you, why haven't you changed yet? I think there's two answers. One, it's because you don't want to. The second is you're not allowing His grace to change you from the inside out. Just trying really hard isn't gonna help. You need the grace of God and His strength and the power of the Holy Spirit to change you from the inside out. So are you allowing Him to move in your life through His grace or do you even want that to change? Lastly, what if God asked you, will you let me lead you? completely? Not just in some areas and not just sometimes. In your own prayers, how would you answer him? Take a few moments, spend some time between you and your Lord, because remember, he knows you. He is with you everywhere. He's with you when you try to run from him, and he's with you when you're running to him. And he created you. He knows you better than you know you. So what if God asked you these questions? Spend some time, begin to answer that with him.